Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, nerds, and welcome to the Engadget Podcast. This is episode 30, I Can Change. On this week's show, we've got Devendra Hardwar. Hello, I can't change. No, no change for you. I give up, yeah. We also have Dana Woolman. Can you change? Um, I can change my seat because he keeps taking my seat every other week <laughs> on the podcast. Dana Dana is super into her seat. Yeah. Just for future reference. This okay. is like my primary seat this week. But yeah. like, <laughs> I put my butt in it before he could put... <laughs> uh, I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. I am also incapable of change, unfortunately. Uh, basically, we're all terrible. Yeah. We're all curmudgeons. This is a curmudgeon block. Like, it, it, Depending on who's on the podcast, we have a different group. This is a curmudgeon group. Yeah, yeah. so everybody knows to expect this is going to be <laughs> a, little, a little bit down. I will say on a positive note, yes. we survived the great AWS outage of 2017, <laughs> <laughs> which is nice. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Uh, did you see the clip of the guy at the AWS conference trying to... De- that was the best part of this whole thing. That I agree. That was pretty much the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, I, was it yesterday or the day before? Day before. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Amazon's web services had a little bit of trouble and kind of went down mm-hmm. and took down a whole bunch of other things with it including a lot of stuff that we use personally here at Engadget to mm-hmm. kind of do our we jobs. We didn't totally go down, but it, it took us, it, it made our jobs harder, yeah. for sure. Um, so our, our assignment tracking tool, Trello, went down. Um, Slack, which is how we all stay in contact throughout the course of the day, had some trouble. It was going in and out. Our, our whole, actual website was up yep. and down. Our whole image search, like just to put images in our posts. The, uh, this is the problem with consolidating internet services, guys. Like, remember the ideal of a distributed network? Uh, we came up with it in the 70s. It seemed to work pretty well for a while, and then we just went backwards. Yeah, so now everything is either Google or Amazon. So if one of those two things goes down, we're all screwed. Great. But we survived. Everything was okay. We're back to work, and Gadget is still up and running, um, and the world has not literally burned to the ground yet. Yeah. Which I'm very happy to say. I was on the, so there was a whole like subway outage in New York this morning. And as I was cabbing in, I just saw a food cart just like overturned on its side. I was like, <laughs> this is it. This is the end. This is a sign. <laughs> um, you guys want to get to it? Sure. Sure. All right. Let's start as we do every week with Flame Wars. This is kind of where we debate some of the bigger stories of the week, kind of uh, talk our way through them. I want to start with YouTube TV. Uh, so earlier this week, Google kind of took the veil off of their live TV service. This is clearly meant to compete with PlayStation View and Sling and some other services. Yeah, DirecTV yeah. and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, so my question for you guys is, can, can this actually compete with those products? Um, you know, or is this going to be another one of these things that Google launches, forgets about, and then kind of falls by the wayside. Uh, Devendra, you want to kick this yeah. off? Yeah, I mean, I've covered a bunch of these things. So I use Sling. I've tested View. I've tested the uh, the DirecTV thing. 
And they all just kind of do the same thing. They just bring live TV to your internet, and that's great. Um, there, this whole this whole field is getting kind of boring now, and nobody's really doing anything different. Uh, the one big difference here with YouTube, though, is that everyone's always on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to imagine, you know, adding channels alongside all your other YouTube stuff, and that seems like uh, something that could be more useful to a lot of people, even though they're missing some channels. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to go subscribe to DirecTV um, in their whole thing because it's such a separate service from what they normally do. When you say everyone's on YouTube, mm-hmm. do you mean the um, owners of the channels, like the media companies, or no, I mean people like users. us? And, uh, I mean, I don't spend that much time on YouTube, too. I'm still an old fogey who watches real TV shows, <laughs> uh, scripted content. Uh, but you know, it's a really smart way to combine where it, it puts the content that isn't available where people actually are right now. I know. What do you think, Dana? I think right now the list of channels seems a little basic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like it's great for people who like either sports or um, network sitcoms. Yeah. So is it good for people who like sports? Though? So I was looking at the lineup as well, and it has ESPN, right. which is great. Uh, but everybody kind of has ESPN, and but it's missing kind of a big one that I feel like all of these services are, which is like local sports channels, which yeah. are really the most important one at the end of the day. Um, you know, ESPN hosts maybe five or six Met games throughout the course of the year. If I want to watch the Mets, I need local channels. I need uh, SNY, which I, means I'd have to get FiOS or local cable because it's not a streaming thing. It's not offered on sling tv to my knowledge or playstation view and that's kind of yeah i don't know like so if you Mm -hmm. are a sports fan don't you need those local channels which are kind of missing i'm not a local sports fan (laughs) (laughs) it's a very specific type of sports fan but the bigger problem is that this one doesn't have viacom channels at all discovery a and e amc turner like amc walking dead is the biggest show in comedy central yeah all that stuff and Comedy Central might be done for good on streaming services, and a lot of those Viacom channels might be, it sounds like. Yeah, it could be. I mean, they definitely got a lot of their stuff out of Hulu. Um, I'm not sure what their plans are. I mean, Comedy Central, uh, The Daily Show, for one, yeah, is gone. It's gone from Hulu. From Hulu. But I know Comedy Central is still on Sling, um, and all these channels are also on uh, PlayStation View, too, for the same $35 a month plan. So it, this is a start from YouTube. That's really all it is. And it seems like a much more useful service than YouTube Red, which I never quite understood. Mm-hmm. I, I paid for it a little and terrible name. Okay, YouTube videos without ads, some original content. This thing, you'll get some YouTube Red content with YouTube TV, but not the ad-free capability. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they should throw in the ad-free stuff. Yeah, I feel like they should probably marry those two services a little bit better. Yeah. Um, buying the YouTube TV should obviously, I think, get you YouTube Red, get you that lack of... Just call it YouTube Red TV, and there will be no mistakes with that title at all. Um, And as a guy who watches a whole lot of YouTube, um, Mm -hmm. I'm not even very sold on this. Like, I probably... I'm the opposite of you. I probably watch more YouTube than, like, traditional TV at this point. What do you watch Mm -hmm. on YouTube? Um, a lot of nonsense, mostly. <laughs> like, I mean, it, that's it, most of YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's good, like short form content where, like, I don't want to sit down and watch um, an hour long drama. I don't want to sit and watch a movie. I'll put on like Sci Show or Crash Course, or I watch a lot of educational programming because <laughs> I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> what I got? Look, I got a thing for the Green Brothers and <laughs> educational programming. So sue me. 
But yeah, YouTube has become that sort of thing for me too, where like in between maybe watching an episode or something, if I'm just wasting time, I'll go watch an episode of You Suck at Cooking or something. Yeah. And Movies with Mikey is my favorite new movie show. So there, it's a whole bunch of things available there. It'll, yeah, I'm interested to see what they're doing. Uh, I'm definitely getting tired of hearing people launching their live TV services because we know Apple's going to do one soon too. That could be interesting, but that the main draw there is putting it into the Apple TV. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, moving on, this is a topic that we've kind of addressed several times on the show, mm -hmm. and I feel like we're going to have to address it pretty much until we no longer have a show. Um, <laughs> until the internet stops being a thing and humanity is erased off the face of the earth, we're going to be talking about Twitter trolls. <laughs> <laughs> or trolls in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other day, Twitter launched some new tools for kind of controlling your feed and who can contact you and what notifications you get and all of that stuff. Um, one of you guys kind of want to walk us through those new features real quick? Uh, it's uh, They've just really revamped what you can mute and the types of accounts that you can use. So, yeah, you can mute different account types, uh, things like uh, people with unverified email addresses, unverified phone numbers, and even the egg avatar. Yes. Which that's is, really that's the big That's the one. best thing, because I've, I've never had a good conversation with an egg. No. <laughs> a Twitter egg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, this sort of thing, I think, is uh, it's kind of a big deal. This yeah. is what we've needed for a while. So is this them finally kind of taking the troll problem seriously and really living up to their promise to accelerate delivering these kinds of tools to people? It's years late, but yeah, sure. I think it goes mm -hmm. beyond that. I think it is. I think it represents a slight rethinking of what it means to have a conversation on Twitter. I mean, this is definitely a less democratic approach in a way that I personally am excited 100% about. Okay, about <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think originally the premise was you could be Lady Gaga or you could be a Twitter egg and you could um, talk to someone you found interesting and. You didn't really have the right to not be spoken to um, unless you fully made your account private. This is less democratic, right? I mean, when you mute the eggs, you're essentially, or and mute unverified people, you're essentially saying, I don't want to engage with the nobodies. And sorry out there, I, I, it's going to get me in trouble. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean, when you phrase it that way, it sounds bad. The pearls. Just, just yeah. going to be honest about that one. But it's true. It's 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 true. Yeah. I stand by it. Yeah. I, I'm willing to engage in a conversation with you if you take the amount of time to, like, give yourself an avatar and, and like, have yeah. a conversation. Because I mean, all I've gotten from eggs is just shouting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not, I would never mm -hmm. block unverified, but I 100% am into blocking all of the eggs. Like, yeah. if you can't be bothered to <laughs> fill out an account, like, I don't, you're clearly not worth my time. Picture any photo on your computer. Just I mean, I'm coming at this, I think, from a more feminist perspective mm -hmm. in the For first sure. place, where I, you know, I think most women... Um, have spent their whole lives resisting this idea that um, they are obligated to speak to men they don't know or interact or engage with yeah. men they don't know. And um, I'm coming at it from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if you are polite, why am I obligated to engage with you? I don't think you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At all. A, a lot of Twitter users feel like, yeah. I think there's are. a sense of entitlement, mm -hmm. especially among the trolliest of the Twitter trolls. I mean, I don't feel obligated to respond to people. I People say horrible <laughs> things to me, and I just go, okay. So, yeah, I mean, and I ignore it and move on with this my This is day. not the most democratic approach, but it does it at the same time feel fair or just. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
It's, I mean, it's, it's what we need is a lot of tools to suit different use cases. So this is a much more flexible way of making your Twitter experience better. You can also, for the muting, you can also like just mute somebody for a short while, yeah. which is something I've wanted to do too. Like even people I like, like sometimes they're just like on a rant or on a Twitter storm or something. I'm like this guy. Yeah. Just, <laughs> oh, sports ball. Just mute Ter- Terrence like until sports ball ends. So for eight months out of the year, <laughs> Devinger wants to mute me because he doesn't want to hear about the Mets. It's basically what he's saying. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, there's occasionally uh, some political tweets in there now. Mm-hmm. It's just the balance has shifted slightly. Uh-huh. Um, let's move on to our last one, though. And this is something we spent quite a, time, quite a lot of time talking about last week, and that is Uber. Um, and this is a really simple question, <laughs> which is, is it time for Uber CEO to just step down? So maybe we should start by explaining what happened after we recorded last week's episode. Um, and that is that Travis Kalanick, I never know how to pronounce his last name, but that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> this definitely happened in the last podcast, but mm-hmm. go on. No, the, this was after. This, this no, I'm saying you, you being oh. unable to pronounce his name. Yeah. We'll oh, that's, on the very we'll last just, podcast. Every episode, just pick a different pronunciation. That's, that's how I like to roll. If I don't know how to pronounce your name, I'm not going to bother to find out. I'm just going to try <laughs> different ones until I stumble around the right one. Sure. And somebody tells me. Um, so he was caught on video basically yelling at and arguing with an Uber driver who was raising some issues about fair prices falling and how that was affecting his ability to support himself as an Uber and driver. And kudos to that Uber driver for recognizing this opportunity yeah. he had. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, look, you can take some issue perhaps with the way the driver approached the situation, but to be fair, it's his livelihood at stake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and your boss just gets in the back seat for you know the company you're working for. I think it's it's fair to ask questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Kalanick's um, response was insanely unprofessional, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, he. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I mean, basically, he just kind of like yelled at, berated him, and told him he couldn't, he wasn't willing to take uh, responsibility for his own decisions in life, which is fucking rich <laughs> coming from this m- multi millionaire CEO of a company that has dodged responsibility for its own fuck ups for years now. And rant, guys, debate. <laughs> I mean, it's. Uh, to, to your greater question, should he step down? I, yeah, a lot of every single one of Uber's problems that we've seen lately are directly related to how he's approached the company. His like completely flaunting uh, regulations, uh, worker needs, uh, what what cities actually want. Like he doesn't actually listen. It's win and disrupt at all costs. Um, yeah, a lot of his like we know he's a big Ayn Rand fan. Like that, it's purely that. It's just like want to be super successful at all costs. There's no morality there. Dana? So I would like to see him step down, not necessarily because of this latest incident um, in particular. Um, I don't think anyone comes out of that incident looking that great. Mm-hmm. No. I don't, think, um, I don't think the CEO does, but I also think he may have been slightly provoked. Um, uh, there is this sense that he may have picked a fight and had it on camera, um, 
knowing what he was going to do. I don't know. I don't think either of them come out of that situation yeah. looking mm, particularly drivers good. Drivers have cameras, though, like just as security. Like, that's um, a thing. Yeah. But I was thinking about it this morning. So for those um, people out there, um, the New York City subway system just shit the bed this morning. <laughs> um the trains just what at first seemed like infrequent trains with um, no space for new people turned into no trains so it took me 90 minutes to get to work and I eventually um, I did call an uber and it's funny because before I got going today I was actually as I was getting ready for work thinking about uber and I was getting all self-righteous I was <laughs> like I'm gonna delete my account soon and it was really because of you know the sexual harassment stuff but I was like I'm gonna delete my account soon blah 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 and then I ended up using uber and um, I don't know where that puts me. I, I think, it, I think it, it puts us in a place where... Well, you just you really want to get here for the show, yeah. right? So Yes, yeah. but Uber has a great... Leadership aside, it has a great product. I think we've discussed it as too big to fail on this podcast before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's true. And that is the case against, against him stepping down is the fact that his presence hasn't hurt the business the way you would hope because people like you and me we'll still happily get into an Uber if um, if we need to get to work and the subways are failing us. Yeah. So, I mean, I felt self-righteous about it, and I, I felt like he should step down, that he he is responsible for the toxic culture, but his being there, it doesn't seem to be hurting business. I mean... It, as much as you'd, you'd expect, maybe. He immediately issued an apology here. Like, we've... And this guy has issued so many apologies over the years. So this is like, guys, I'm really, really sorry. He's like a kid who's just like always doing something bad and like always has to apologize to the teacher. I hear you, Dana. Um, What I do like is that there are so many alternatives out there now. So, yeah, I looked at Uber this morning when I was trying to get in. I looked at Lyft, too, which also works in many places. Devendra also lives in Brooklyn and ended up in a cab on the way to work in Manhattan. Yeah, it was the only way to get here. I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there, guys. We live in New York City. You know what else works really well? Cabs. You just hold up your hand and well, you wait for a cab. I also <laughs> used I used Curb this morning, which is one of the many like Verifone cab hailing mm-hmm. apps for city cabs, and that worked really well too because the Ubers were all ten minutes out. The cab came in one minute. Go ahead, Dana. Yeah, I'm not going to let him mansplain <laughs> cab hailing to me on a podcast that everyone listens to. It is cold and windy outside. It was rush hour. Everyone else was escaping from the messed up subways. All the yeah. cabs appeared to be full. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. needed to order hail a private car. You needed to, like, do... Like, you couldn't just stand on the street this morning because yeah. it was pretty crazy. But I did manage to hail a city cab, and that's a great thing. Like, that's... The thing is, Uber's technology is fine. It's great. But all they really did is make the dispatch service electronic. Yeah. Lyft copied it immediately. It'll eventually, like, other cities can do it easily with things like Curb. So, like, Uber isn't inherently special, even though you know, Kelnick and his whole crew thinks it is. Yeah. I mean, it's a service that anybody else could do. It yeah. maybe maybe it's time for if he won't step down, everybody to just start using Lyft and maybe it's time Why for those more drivers to use happening. Lyft. Is yeah. it just drivers creatures of moving. habit or is there some perception that Lyft is inferior to Uber? There is some laziness, I think, yeah. I think it's partially that. Yeah. I mean, they're also kind of inherently s- different services, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Lyft Lyft's maps aren't as good. Like I've had issues getting places with yeah. Lyft people. Yeah. And I mean, they're much more focused on sort of ride sharing than mm-hmm. on uh, kind of helping like black cars in their downtime make a little bit of sure. extra money. Um, but I mean, I think you can do it. I yeah. made the switch to Lyft yeah. uh, a while ago. Most Uber drivers support both. Like, yeah. And they'll, if you talk to them, like most of the drivers I've talked to have said like they prefer Lyft. 
yeah, just as a company, as something to work for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but clearly he should step down. That's the end of the story. At the end of the day, <laughs> I'm, I'm just amazed. Like he, in his apology, he says he needs leadership help, which has been obvious for years. Yeah. It's just funny that this is the event that makes it. This I feel is, like after the sexual harassment claims, like maybe he should have said it then. I mean that that yeah. that I noticed and I thought was bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I don't know if you can have that both ways to say I'm the CEO of a publicly traded company, right. but I need um, I need leadership. I need help. leadership <laughs> 101. Then maybe God. you shouldn't be the CEO of a publicly traded company. Yeah, like the worst. Uh, let's move on, guys. Sure. Um, move on to group chat where we kind of discuss the really big story for the week. Something we want to really dig into, and um, I really want to talk about the Switch. Sure. Um, Nintendo Switch. Yes. So Nintendo's new console which Devendra was nice enough to bring into the studio with him. Yes. And just I'm going to hold it here and not let Terrence touch it. Yeah. He let me it's play great. with it uh, yesterday. After this, after this podcast is over, I'm going to mug Devendra and take that from him. <laughs> That's uh, why I didn't play it on the You could just ask nicely. Yeah. I guess. Just ask him to share his toys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but Devendra, you wrote our review. Mm-hmm. You've spent how many days now with this? Pretty much a week. I got it last Tuesday. Got a little later than um, other reviewers. But yeah, had a good amount of time with it. All right. So sort of broadly, big picture, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Is this something everybody should be rushing out to buy? Probably not. Uh, I know orders have sold out, pre-orders have sold out and everything. Um, Right now, it's a very basic system. So the big idea, right, is that this is both a portable console and a home console And it's coming after the failure of the Wii U, which was just a thing that Nintendo made. And we were like, what the hell is this? Like, I own a (laughs) Wii U and I like it. And there's some things I like about it. But that console was trying to sell this weird two-screen setup for games. And that never really clicked with developers. The only game that really took advantage of it was Mario Maker. And that's a nice little thing. Uh, The Switch is taking the best feature of the Wii U. And that's the ability to just play your games anywhere. And with the Wii U, you had to be close to the actual system, mm-hmm. which was the weirdest thing. So I could only like play wirelessly in my living room, but if I went to my bedroom, I'd just lose the signal completely. So the, the way it worked on the Wii U was the console itself, which was connected to the TV, yeah. did all the processing, and then it was streaming just the visual portion of it to this tablet. And it did it really well, honestly. Like There wasn't much lag with the Wii U streaming, um, but that, that the actual gamepad on the Wii U 2 was pretty terrible because it was like a giant Fisher-Price tablet that i remember i i I worked a little bit on the uh review for the wii u for and gadget and i remember coming away from it going who would want to use this yeah so that was that was a disaster on many levels and i think nintendo had a lot of hubris coming off the wii and how successful that was and they thought they could just do whatever the heck they wanted uh nintendo's a big enough company that they probably can uh the switch is just a much more focused idea you know it's portable gaming but you plop it down the dock and then it becomes a home console um, has these new controllers which kind of unify the whole experience they can go from being on the portable side to being in this nice uh, little uh, grip accessory that turns into a normal controller so there are a lot of great ideas here um, mostly I'm interested in the fact that the hardware has come so far that Nintendo can create a portable system that also looks pretty good on your TV too so <clears throat> Unlike the newer systems coming out from Sony and Microsoft, this mm-hmm. is only 1080p on the TV, right? And they're only, not, yeah. They're only not making the jump to 4K yet. Nope. And uh, 720p mobile, which honestly makes a lot of sense, too, because we're seeing phones and tablets go uh, 1080p and higher. 
And it doesn't really make sense because you can't see that resolution difference. Your complaint, yeah. it wasn't the resolution, but more the visibility on yeah. sunny days when you were using it. Yeah, outside. the screen is great inside. It's really bright. It's really bold. Um, it's a big improvement over what the Wii U was, which wasn't even HD. Uh, but yeah, you take it outside and it's not bright enough to get through on a sunny day. And it's also super reflective. I think there's a big... Uh, given that this is a kid's toy, I think Nintendo put a lot of protection around the screen. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're outside on a cloudy day, there's a lot of protection. Uh, there's a lot of reflection around what you're seeing. So it makes it hard to actually you know, game properly. So, no, go ahead, Dana. Oh, just side note that when he was testing it, Outside, were you? You were in a park, right? I was in a park. Yeah, he, I was yeah. In he Prospect got the attention park. of a bunch of kids who knew exactly what he was. Yeah. playing. There with. were like twelve kids, and then I had to be the weird adult, just sitting in the park <laughs> playing this video Surrounded game. Surrounded by children. Leave me alone, kids! <laughs> I'm doing work here. It was great, and we got some uh, photo bombs in in our video from the kids. Excellent. Uh, so, screen aside, though, mm -hmm. is that something you could really see yourself doing, though? Like taking your console to the park and sitting and playing video games? I mean, I, I've owned portable consoles for a while, or portable systems for a while. Um, it's not that different, but I think something like this, like, as I'm getting older, I'm having less and less time to play games, so the ability to just, like, pick it up, go to the bedroom, go to another room, just sit and relax and play a full-sized game, uh, it's a really, it's a good experience for me. Like, I really like playing Zelda, just vegging in bed, not doing anything else. Yeah. So th that's that was sort of uh, what I was wondering. Is, mm -hmm. is this more useful just for its portability around the home rather Probably. than like out and about? I Probably, mean, yeah. You could see. It, it's kind of a wide gadget. It is, it is lighter um, and maybe even thinner than it, it looks in, in photos. Mm -hmm. I was surprised at, at how light it was when I held it yesterday. But um, for a single-purpose gadget, that's a lot of space in your bag. It is. It is. And I'm the sort of person that also has trouble even fitting like the 3DS into my bag sometimes, and that's a significantly smaller system. Um, but maybe if you're going on a flight mm -hmm. and, or you're going on a work trip or something. I also like the tabletop mode of the system because you could kick out the, the kickstand and just set it up in the table and use the two controllers separately. Uh, nice, new, innovative things. I didn't get to test the really cool new stuff we've seen from the Switch, like 1-2 Switch and some of the multiplayer games. And this system could potentially bring back the joy of local multiplayer. You know, I grew up playing Mario Kart and other games sitting around the TV with my NES and <laughs> Super NES. Um, so being able to do something like that again with your friends is kind of cool. Uh, but we haven't seen any of that yet either. This is a very, very rushed launch for Nintendo. Uh, just slight sidetrack. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of thinking about how we used to do that, do the local multiplayer and play Mario Kart or even, um, you know, Goldeneye yep. in these like four way split screens mm -hmm. on like a 27 inch TV. <laughs> How did we do and it? And I, I, I literally have no idea. <laughs> I played one split screen game recently. Uh, on like my 40 inch TV mm -hmm. and was like, I don't know how I ever survived. Like, how did I know what I was doing? Well, our eyes were a lot better, I think, back then, That's... so that that kind of helps. Uh, but yeah, we, 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 we've upgraded to like online multiplayer, so you, everybody has a nice big screen, but I miss sitting around a crowded living room and just like playing with my friends and my little brother and just like shouting at everybody. So the Switch could bring that back in some ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to see that. Um, when I first got my PlayStation 4, one of the first things I did was go out and buy like a couple of like really easy like local multiplayer things mm -hmm. in hopes that I could get my wife to play with me. Um, 
That did not work. She has yeah. like zero interest. <laughs> She's a podcast listener, so she, yeah. she heard all of that. Yeah, she knows. I mean, yeah, she really wants that switch, though. She wants that. She wants to play Zelda. It's yeah, you know. it's pretty much. And Zelda, by the way, is fantastic. I played it a little yesterday. So yeah. that's 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 the other big thing I want to talk mm-hmm. about is uh, all of the reviews so far of Zelda specifically have been great. Yeah, um, uh, like uh, Aaron edit, uh, reviewed it for us, and he really loved it. Uh, I did the video, so you could just hear me there. But uh, I think it's not only the best Zelda game in a very, very long time, but one of the best Nintendo games we've ever seen. It's just, yeah, from top to bottom, pretty much great. I I saw, I believe it was early this morning, that Aaron basically said he thinks this might be the best entry in the Zelda series, which is a pretty bold statement. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's... uh... It gives you the freedom of Zelda 1, if you remember playing that in the NES and just like having this game where you didn't really have any direction or rules. You were just kind of exploring a big world. And then Zelda 64, which opened that up to 3D and is like, oh, crap, like this environment just looks huge. And then it expands that even further. And it brings together ideas we've seen in like The Witcher 3 and Far Cry for some strange reason. And uh, what else? A lot of open world games. Mm-hmm. It's like refining that formula. So that's that's sort of what I'm interested in mm-hmm. is kind of seeing how Zelda and Nintendo approaches that open world thing. Um, I'll be honest, I love open world games in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, I find they get a little bit boring sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's a lot of grinding, a lot of you know, find these points on the map. And yeah, so that was the thing I've noticed a lot of open world games used to do. Right, you go to a place, you climb a really high location, you open up all these locations in whatever area you're you're in. Uh, Zelda has some of that high climbing mechanic, but you have to do the work yourself. So you have to climb up there, look around. What looks interesting? You can zoom in with the scope and mark it on your map, and you have to go to it. So you're creating your own adventure, which okay. I think also makes it uh, its kind of fascinating. Like, it's not really directing you most of the time. You'll also die a lot in this game, <laughs> yes. which, yeah, Dana died uh, within, what, a couple of minutes? Well, um, but, yeah. I mean, I, I, I slay that first round of bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the guy who I saved gave me bread, so I felt pretty good about that. Yeah, and Dana loves nothing more than somebody who gives her bread, <laughs> carbs. But no, but then there was a the large monster, right? Yeah, and I had trouble um, using both the joystick and the camera mm-hmm. angled joystick and pressing my and weapon button yeah, at the same time, all at the same time. Video you, games are hard. There. Video yeah. games are hard. But, you know, the idea that a Nintendo game, which is made for kids, uh, really is kind of relentless. Like, you will die a lot. You'll die climbing things. Climbing's a big part of the game. You'll die fighting enemies. You have to be on your toes. But it's also, I like a game that gives you a bit of challenge because mm-hmm. if I die and it's my fault, I feel like I'm learning from it. Whereas it's not just cheap. It's not like Ninja Gaiden or something. So is it, is this like, is it like Nintendo's Dark Souls or is it not that bad? <laughs> It's not that bad, okay. but it's, it is kind of similar. Like, you will be walking around and, oh, my God, giant enemy. I am totally unprepared for all this. And if it sees you, you're dead. Like, that's it. Um, how do you think kids are going <laughs> to react to this game? Because, I mean, that's always been Nintendo's bread and butter, really. Mm-hmm. It's like people like us who grew up on it and are super nostalgic for Nintendo stuff. And then children. Like, yeah, children. Um, well, yeah. Is, is this game too difficult for them? Or are they going to be kind of turned off by it? Or... Yeah. Or, and hear me out, mm-hmm. is this prepping them for a life of disappointment? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's that. But also, think back to the early NES games, right? Super Mario 1, uh, Mario 2, the first couple Zeldas. Those weren't easy games. And yeah. I think in Nintendo's quest to be more, to get more mass appeal from consumers, like the Wii felt like it dumbed down a lot of games for kids, um, for non-gamers, not to be too elitist, but, you know, 
uh, early Nintendo trusted kids. You know, like Zelda was hard, but I learned how to do it. I remember the distinct moment when I learned how to go down a pipe in Mario, and nobody showed me. It was just me, like playing around and dying many, many times. Uh, so I think that sort of exploration and you know just letting kids play. I'm a big believer in that. Uh, that's important. I mean, Nintendo's mm-hmm. always been really good at kind of showing you the mechanics of how a game works mm-hmm. without necessarily holding your hand. Yeah. Um, which I do wish is something other developers would figure out. It depends on the game. Like they, the last couple Zeldas have not been great, honestly. I um, have to yeah. be clear. I have not played a Zelda <laughs> since Ocarina of Time, and oh, wow. I never beat that. Okay. Um, I kind of stopped there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> My favorite entry in the franchise is A Link to the Past, and nobody's going to convince me different. I love A Link to the Past. Uh, <laughs> that was like, uh, I remember before that game came out, I had dreams of just playing that game. Uh, but Zelda 64 is really transformative for me. The last great one was probably Wind Waker, and they just re-released that for the Wii, and, uh, or for the Wii U. That game still looks amazing today, but, you know, that was a game where you were floating around, the world wasn't really vibrant and alive. Yeah. This world, there's so much going on, there's so many different areas. Um, really shows off the hardware well, too, like great weather effects. Uh, yeah, I just wish there were more interesting games for the Switch at launch. Like, it's not much right now. Yeah, so that was going to be the the next question I had, mm-hmm. which is, you know, part of the reason I haven't played a Zelda game in so long is the only place you can get them is on a Nintendo console. And barring the fact that I have not owned a game console, <laughs> period, in a very long time, um, like, there's just not that much else that's super compelling for an adult, really. Mm-hmm on the Nintendo consoles. Um, do you think they're finally going to like make some headway in that space? Well, I mean, the GameCube had a lot of stuff for adults. Like that was a really that was the last time Nintendo tried to go head to head with Sony and Microsoft. Like the GameCube was a powerful system, had some great third-party games, had some great dark titles too, like Eternal Darkness. It was a really adult system, and then the Wii happened. The Wii was cheap. It had underpowered hardware, so the margins were probably really good for Nintendo while everybody else was chasing HD. Uh, you know, so Nintendo went off of that path for more general gamers with the Wii. This seems like they're they want to be true to the Nintendo faithful yeah. as well. Do you, do you think though that they kind of started going off of that path with the GameCube? I mean, I know there are mm-hmm. some adult focused uh, titles, some things that like they yeah. were darker and all of that. It looked like it, a lunchbox. Ex- exactly, it's, yeah. it's a purple cube. You're still their big titles were still like those controllers, the, a Mario. Yeah. You know, a plumber who jumps on mushrooms like this is... Those controllers were pretty uh, pretty insane. Yeah. Like, they didn't look and feel good. And, like, Pikmin mm-hmm. was, like, the other big game that I remember mm-hmm. for GameCube, and that's, like, an adorable little, like, ad- yeah. puzzle game that Nintendo, seems like it's geared towards children. Yeah. Uh, they were lost for a while, too, right? Because uh, what was right before the GameCube? The 64, the 64, right? 64, right? And they lost, like... In an in alternate universe, right? Sony was working with with Nintendo to build a PlayStation, like a CD sort of extension or CD sort of system. That event they kind of fell through. Uh, the PlayStation ended up becoming its own thing, and then Sony just became a big market leader in consoles. Yeah. So Nintendo was trying to make up for lost time. Yeah. Dana, are you gonna get one? <laughs> um, the Switch, you mean? Yeah. Uh. I can see on your face. No, I want, well, first, I want to see how the virtual console feature with the mm-hmm. emulation works. Yep. Um, it's, not, it's not available yet, which is maybe lends that is 
you know, a point to your point about um, this being a little half baked at launch. Is that like a make or break feature for you? Because I know it is for me. Yeah, if if I'm going to buy a Nintendo console, I want the option of playing the games from my childhood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, last Ze- the only Zelda I ever really played was on my Game Boy. Um, those were those. Were I was missing it this morning. Yeah. Um, Anyway, the punchline to all this is that my dad <laughs> sold all of our consoles in a garage sale, Aww. probably without asking us. So I don't even. <laughs> you should tell him it's probably worth a lot more now than whatever. I was you thinking got about the in the shower sale. this morning and feeling yeah. sad. I yeah. don't know what became of my Game Boy. Aww. Thankfully, my my parents <laughs> never did that. Though my father did give away our Atari Twenty Six Hundred and our library of like eighty or ninety games that what? we inherited from somebody. Wow. Including like how, how I had long ET were you pissed about stuff. that? Oh, I, I, I still, still hold a grudge. That? I still, I'm That's still a little mad about deal. it. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty mad about it. <laughs> Did your parents ever just get rid of stuff that they really shouldn't have? Uh, not really. I mean, my parents. So I grew up in Hartford, and then while I was in college, or as soon as I graduated, my parents moved down to Georgia. So we they moved all the stuff from our old house. Some of the stuff may still be in that old house. So that's we may have just left it behind out of neglect. And some things are in our other place. So we've tried to collect. My family doesn't get rid of we things. We might have an Atari in our basement, though, that belonged to my dad in his bachelor days. <laughs> if we can find it and restore it, would you be interested in like a video series like Gaming with Larry Half Sausage? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like nobody is going to understand the Larry Half Sausage thing, but that's okay. <laughs> just, we're just gonna, it's his name. I don't think we have time to go into it right now. <laughs> that sounds like a long story, Yeah, but okay. But yeah, um, virtual console, big thing, Dana. Um, we haven't seen any of the networking features. No. And Nintendo has historically been terrible at networking, so. I mean, they yeah. only just showed off the eShop mm-hmm. yesterday. Yeah. Like, in a video, and the reviewers still don't have access to it. Like, yeah. it's only, there's going to be a day one update that consumers will get that'll add all that stuff to their systems, but it really worries me that reviewers couldn't see it ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited and intrigued by it, but I'm also a little bit concerned that in certain ways it seems rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, so They only announced this thing in October. You're, the Wii U came out in, what, 2014, I think? Sounds, sounds right. Sounds about right. Uh, I mean, I could look it up, but I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> the, the Wii U like hasn't been around for too long either, so it does feel like the Wii U was this weird misstep for Nintendo. They didn't, didn't quite know what it wanted to be, and they probably should have just waited a while and maybe release this a year early. This mm-hmm. is running on hardware that existed in 2015, I believe. So, yeah. I, I wish they kind of focused instead of giving us the Wii U, yeah. which is kind of half-baked. Yeah. So, Dana, when is the last game console you owned? The N64. Okay. So you're I also I also don't know what happened to that. <laughs> Dad probably sold it. So you're Thanks, actually Dad. a little you're actually a little bit better off than I am. The last one I owned until fairly recently was the Super Nintendo. So what? We had that too. My brother and Dad sold it. My brother had a Nintendo 64, <laughs> but I never really played it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mine. You're right. Right. Um, and I I had a broken PlayStation from a friend of mine that like <laughs> I had only one game for. I just had Tony Hawk. <laughs> And I had every. It would only work like one out of every five times. <laughs> That's a good game. That was a good game. But otherwise, yeah. yeah ever since the Super Nintendo, <laughs> I've had nothing until uh, uh-huh. you know last year when I got a PlayStation Four. So I'm a big console nerd. I'm kind of a Nintendo fanboy too. So I want to have faith in them. But yeah, we'll see. This is a good change because Nintendo can't play the same game that Sony and Microsoft does for sure. Um. Mm-hmm. So I think we should kind of wrap up this mm-hmm. show because I want to play with the Switch. 
Um, Don't mug him for it. <laughs> I won't. I'll just ask nicely once we leave. Um, Dana, do you have any last thoughts about the Switch before we kind of bring the show to a close? Um, I mean, it, it, I enjoyed it yesterday. I, I agree that I think for most people there, there will need to be more games for people to pull the trigger on it. Anything, anything you want to add before we kind of wrap up? Divindra? We're going to be updating this review a lot. <laughs> this is going to be like a review in progress. So, yeah, a lot of things will change. Keep an eye on it. All right. Uh, let's kind of bring the show to a close, though, with what we're continuing to call the wind down. This is kind of where we just recommend something that, you know, the viewers, the listeners, the readers go out and check out something non-tech related. Well, non-tech, at least. No gadgets here. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you've been reading, watching, listening to, whatever it might be. Um, so, Devendra, what are you suggesting the readers go check out uh, this week? I'm going to suggest The Good Fight which is a show that nobody has heard of I have and not. very few people have access to, which shows the problem with streaming <laughs> services right now. This is an original series on CBS uh, All Access. It's a spinoff of The Good Wife, which is one of the best shows ever made. Um, and it focuses on uh, Christine Baranski's character from that series. It's just really well done. It's a Chicago law drama. Uh, but it's also kind of fascinating to me to see when you make a show for a streaming service, and we've seen you know Netflix and Amazon do this, but comparing how CBS makes a show for, for TV, there's swearing, there's a lot more swearing, there's a lot more diversity, which also makes me think, guys, can you, can you just not have that many people of color in a CBS show? I guess not, <laughs> because you know what the typical CBS audience is. Not super diverse. Uh, so all those things are really interesting. I may have a, I want to do a story at some point about like, you know, if these streaming services have exclusive content and nobody sees it, does it really mm-hmm. exist? Fair enough. Yeah. You do realize you have to get moving on that now, though, <laughs> right? Because now you've given away the pitch. <laughs> um, it's all going to happen. Uh, Dana, what do you want to recommend the people check out this week? So I, I've long since since read this, but actually the last book I ordered on Amazon over the weekend that just arrived was a copy of David Carr's memoir, Night of the Gun. Oh, um, nice. yeah. Ordered. I, I originally read it as a Kindle book, so I can't really lend it to other people but so I, I bought it in paperback partly for myself but partly just because there were a few people who I specifically wanted to lend that book to interesting so you bought a book in physical form just to lend it to other people um only or, partly or, or at least partially to lend it to other people yeah. partially I mean partially it, it's also um a book that has stuck with me so it may okay. as well have a place on my physical bookshelf mm-hmm. interesting all right uh, I'm going to suggest people go check out Code Switch, which is an excellent NPR podcast. Um, it's about race and ethnicity and modern culture. Um, it's, you know, a fairly popular show. I don't think I'm, like, blowing anybody's <laughs> minds by recommending this. It's a good show. It's yeah. a very good show. Yeah. Uh, I've been actually a bit behind on it, and I just listened to the three-part series about Obama's legacy mm-hmm. over the last week, uh, which is super good, and everybody should go check that out. Um just it's just it's just a super smart show mm-hmm. uh, and worthy of being in your subscriptions on your podcast app. Another show worthy of being in your subscription to your podcast app, though, is this one. So please do that. <laughs> please subscribe in your podcast app of choice. Please rate review. us on iTunes. Yeah. And yeah. write us a review. Rate us on iTunes. Do all of that good stuff. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's a good review. Um, <laughs> if you want to write us a bad review, maybe first what you should do <laughs> is reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Devendra, where can they find you? I'm at Devendra on Twitter. Dana? I am Dana Wallman, and right after this, I am disabling um, <laughs> my ability to see eggs. At an icon. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I am at Terrence O'Brien, lots of E's, no A's. You can also get us at 
at Engadget Podcast. So send us your compliments, complaints, suggestions, feedback for the show. Do all of that before you give us a bad rating in the <laughs> podcast app because uh, we want to make the show better for you. Uh, we are listening. Um, you know, We want to make you, the viewer, happy. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Make sure to tune in next week. Um, we will have another episode for you one way or another. 